Hello and welcome back to our podcast, The Healing Power of Trauma. I'm your host, Brenda Savala, and today we're going to cover trauma bonds and how to heal after going no contact. This is a very sensitive subject for me. I stayed in a relationship with an individual that was slowly killing me because I felt shackled by that insidious trauma bond and shame. At some point, it felt like this individual was infecting my soul, my heart, my mind, my body, like a parasitic infection. And I'm not exaggerating when I say this, but I felt so disconnected from myself and everyone else that her presence in my life felt like a dark cloud engulfing me whole and I couldn't escape. For those of you lucky enough to have never experienced this, let me explain it in a way that hopefully won't complicate it further. A trauma bond is like a chemical warfare in your brain, born from a repeated cycle of abuse alternating between abuse and positive experiences. Over a short period of time, the person being abused develops an overwhelming need and desire for love and validation from their abuser. This creates a power imbalance of sorts, where the abused individual loses their sense of agency, while the abuser gains more power and drive to manipulate. Chemically speaking, a trauma bond is very much like a drug addiction. When the narcissist showers you with compliments and attention at the beginning of the relationship, your pituitary gland releases oxytocin, a hormone that is crucial in the establishment of pair bonding and reciprocity. To give you some perspective, oxytocin is the same powerful hormone responsible for the cohesive bond between a mother and a newborn. Oxytocin also happens to have an amnetic effect that helps the mother forget the pains of labor. I want you to remember this part because it's important. You are on cloud nine and so in sync with your narcissist. You're literally running high on them. You don't know it yet, but this is your first fix. Then as the narcissist eases off the love bombing stage, they start testing how far they can push you before you snap. They're testing how loyal and passive you are to gauge how hard you will fight to protect your connection to them. You're the unassuming target, still very much intoxicated by their previous displays of attention and affection, to notice that they have set in motion the hamster wheel that will become your prison until they decide they've had enough and discard you for new supply. Then at some point, let's say you give them a little pushback. You try to assert your autonomy by setting a boundary or holding them accountable for their behavior. Your expectations are that you will be able to have a civil conversation leading to a resolution, but you soon realize that the narcissist doesn't seek a resolution with you. Their drive is to create confusion. Since they lack a sense of accountability, they gaslight you and hide behind one of their most evil, very effective manipulative tactics the silent treatment. You go from being the center of the universe to no longer existing, literally, and it's painful. Narcissists lack what is known as as object constancy and whole object relations. So when they experience what they perceive to be the slightest transgression on your part, you go from being idolized as a perfect partner to a big fat nobody. They starve you of their attention and affection as a way to punish you, leaving you feeling abandoned and disoriented. Here's where that chemical part kicks in. Your brain gets flooded with CRF, 
which increases the stress hormone cortisol and depletes your dopamine levels, causing anxiety and powerful cravings for the narcissist. You're addicted to the highs you get from them and will do anything to get back in their good graces. You start acting crazy. I mean, I know all about that. You do things that are completely out of character. The nicest, sweetest people will do the nastiest, meanest things because the narcissist will bring it out of them. I promise you. You will call and text nonstop, nonstop, I'm sorry, beg for their attention. You just want to feel validated and loved and they will not give you that. You may even throw some reactive abuse in the mix because after extended periods of time of neglect, the prolonged exposure to stress hormones dysregulates your nervous system. I read this neuroscience paper where they were talking about how being ignored or rejected by someone you love triggers the brain to process rejection and emotional abandonment like it does physical pain. How crazy is that? It's like you're in full-blown withdrawal mode like a junkie chasing their next fix, and on top of it, you're in legit physical pain. It's like this powerful combination that would drive even the most stable person insane. Then, the narcissist at some point decides that they have punished you enough, right? Maybe because you've dragged your name and self-respect through the mud long enough to satisfy their thirst for narcissistic supply, they let you back in. They forgive you, right? Remember that part I asked you to remember about oxytocin uh, oxytocin having an amnetic effect? Well, your brain is so high on dopamine again, it blocks out how awful they made you feel. You're so disoriented, you don't realize it, but you just relapse. And they have successfully silenced your attempts to assert yourself and dodged accountability for their actions. It's game over for you, baby, I swear. At some point, you decide to quit them, but find yourself relapsing over and over again. Your withdrawal symptoms are stronger and you're finding it harder to leave because the high doesn't last that long anymore. I think this is because your brain is less able to produce and absorb dopamine, which causes a chemical imbalance in your brain and dysregulates your nervous system. You're not getting enough dopamine even when you're around them anymore, leading to feelings of anxiety and depression. Do you recognize that pattern of behavior that leads to that constant state of fight or flight you were stuck in? I do. You will return to the narcissist over and over again, chasing that initial high, and you will never get it. After a few cycles of this, you start to feel really bad about yourself. You catch yourself engaging in behaviors that bring you so much shame. You don't recognize yourself anymore. You wake up one day to realize that you have lost your sense of self-respect, self-love, autonomy, friends, family. You surrendered all your power to the narcissist. You're homeless, broken and addicted, and the only place you want to run to is the narcissist's arms. You need them to love you and accept you as much as you need to breathe. And baby, they're suffocating you. You are trauma-bonded You are cognizant of the fact that your connection to them is destroying you, but you also know that leaving them makes you feel like death. It kind of was super hard for me when I learned that the only way for to treat my addiction to my narcissist was to quit cold turkey, going no contact, and it's not as easy as it sounds. Breaking a trauma bond is like quitting your drug of choice and nothing and no one can prepare you for the hell you're about to live through. Nothing. 
Immediately after going into contact with my abuser, I started to experience a version of hell I have never even know I never even knew existed. It feels like you're frozen in the exact moment you felt your heart breaking. You lay paralyzed listening to what has become a habitual dialogue in your head between the voice that speaks to you nonstop, imposing her projections and judgments on you harshly as you watch your inner child rage and pain, demanding to know why you have felt her so severely. Days will go by, weeks even, and you will stand there, still frozen, trapped inside your mind. When you gather enough strength to move, you find yourself running through a dark maze, searching for an exit, only to realize that every door you open leads to another chamber, and another, and another. Within each lay folded pages filled with every promise they made and broke. All the dreams they built with you and left behind broken and scattered, laying there waiting for them to breathe life into them again. All the nights you laid in bed with them, cuddled up next to their bare skin, head on their chest, hypnotized by their heartbeat. They were real, weren't they? My dear, you're dredging up old pain from the chambers of your heart. Then anger sets in. I remember pacing back and forth like a caged animal in prison behind invisible bars in my mind, reinforced by shame, regret, disappointment, and self-hatred. You hate the fact that you miss them but your brain is still pretty much addicted to the highs and lows and the quiet that you're experiencing now feels so alien to you, you crave their chaos. You live your day one minute at a time, one panic attack at a time, routinely staring at your phone waiting for a text or a call that will never come. People who know they hurt you avoid you like the plague. Remember that. Did you really self-abandon, losing yourself and your voice, hoping that they would see you? Since when has becoming invisible made anyone feel seen? There's no logic behind any of the things you did, and now that the fog has lifted, you're angry at how much you betrayed yourself. You're unable to justify your actions with the same compassion that drove you to make excuses for theirs. Why is it so hard to forgive ourselves and so easy to forgive those that hurt us? I really don't know. I was plagued with flashbacks of the abuse, finally able to connect the dots and see right through her mask. Nothing prepares you for the type of evil you unveil behind every action they took against you, and you will never be able to unsee it again in them or anyone else with those traits or pathology. You will sniff inconsistencies in people's characters, read into every word, facial expression, body language. Even the change in the tone of their voice when they walk in a room. It's a trauma response that will be with you for a long time. Eventually, I found myself moving through my day like a slow-moving train gliding on the tracks of time. And as I sat there, half alive, looking out the window watching the world go by, I would catch glimpses of myself out there, moving, changing, thriving. There's a hole in my chest where that heart used to beat. The night would come, my faithful enemy, and as I laid in bed, I was flooded with memories, romanticizing the relationship again. I was ruminating, playing that what-if game in my mind. Could Could I have done more? What if they were about to change and I never get to experience the person they promised me they were just because I couldn't hold on just a little longer? What if I did make a big deal out of everything, like she said? What if I'm a bad person, like she said? What if I'm the narcissist? These thoughts 
haunted me. I needed to gaslight myself into thinking there was something wrong with me because I still couldn't believe that someone who claimed to love me so hard could do me so dirty in such a vicious, cold, and calculated way. How long has she been plotting her cruel exit while I sat there like an idiot planning the happily ever after she had promised me? Did she really need to lie, cheat, and smear me on her way out? The love she claimed to have for me never matched her actions. No matter how loud she would scream it from every mountaintop, it just never made sense that she would say I love you so many times throughout the day. Tell me how much she loved me and text and voice everything, but I never, ever felt loved by her. I realized now that I was breaking myself into a million pieces trying to become smaller, quieter, invisible. And she had the nerve to say I was not doing enough to prove I loved her. Could I have given more? I don't know. The saddest outcome of this experience, or at least it was for me, was a loss of innocence. You have this overwhelming sense that you will never be able to trust and love another individual the way that you so blindly love them. You become a paranoid ball of anxiety, unable to trust even your own shadow. I became an empty shell of a person, desperate for human connection and terrified of it at the same time. Because the idea that someone else can come into my life and cause like so much chaos again terrified me. You go completely numb and avoid any type of connection to anyone. You can't hurt where you don't feel, right? You become so disconnected from yourself and from the world that you have trouble understanding how the narcissist is out there already attached to someone who they, who they claim to love more than they ever loved you. I didn't know where to go from there until I realized I had to allow myself to feel. The only way out is to feel everything and heal everything that hurts. Unlike the narcissist, you possess the sense of self-awareness and an ability to hold yourself accountable. And that is exactly what you need to do. You take a very hard look in the mirror and conduct a self-assessment. Instead of pointing fingers and hiding behind enablers and playing the victim, you point the finger back at yourself and begin the arduous work to reconstruct your sense of self. This, my friend, is the beginning of your healing journey. Something that you need to remember as you're healing from trauma is that healing is a journey. Have patience for yourself and treat yourself with the same kindness and compassion that you would have for a friend going through the same experience. Your feelings are valid and what you experienced was traumatic. You need to know that losing yourself and feeling so disconnected from yourself in the early stages of healing is an important part of your journey. It's an opportunity to reconnect deeper with yourself and reassess what's working and the progress you have made. Go into this leg of your journey with curiosity. Gift yourself the same grace and compassion you give to others because when you get to those first few bends on the road to recovery, you're going to find yourself in the most isolating and excruciating part of this journey. And that is realizing that you betrayed yourself while loving others. That you abandoned yourself to be present for somebody else. That you need to let go of people you love and parts of you that no longer serve you in order to grow. 
It is at the stage of healing that all the pain that you've been blocking yourself from feeling will hit you like a ton of bricks and knock the literal wind out of your lungs. You need to feel it to heal it. Healing doesn't mean that you forget what happened. Unfortunately, you will revisit these negative memories and traumatic events many times throughout your lifetime. The key to lessening the effects this has on your mental health is to process trauma appropriately. I don't care how hard you think it is. I don't think, I don't care if you think you can't get through it. You have to process trauma appropriately, no matter how painful and difficult it becomes for you. In order to do that, you need to understand how the brain encodes and retrieves memories and how changing your internal and external environment affects this process. The brain encodes experiences as memories through a process known as mood congruent recall. When an event happens, your brain encodes that part of the event you're currently experiencing along with any information you may not be aware of at the time, such as the temperature of the room or scents around the room, the ambient sound, etc. Ever wonder why a scent or a sound triggers an emotion that in turn retrieves a memory? That is because if you have enough available cues present, your brain will retrieve the experience as though it is happening right now with the same intensity as when it first happened. This is why creating an internal and external environment that's conductive to healing is so important. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Do you have friends and family in common with your abuser? Maybe you have children or financial obligations that bind the two of you together. Do you have photos of them lying around the house or in your phone? Do you follow them on social media? Do you have any physical items that remind you of them laying around the house? How many of these things can you actually control? When you're healing from a trauma bond, you're still very much addicted to the narcissist. So just like an addict has to change their environment, including the people they surround themselves with, in order to successfully quit their addiction, so do you. When I broke up with my ex, one of the first things I did was block her on all my social media accounts. Actually, I not only blocked her, but I blocked her friends and family as well as her enablers. Then I deleted all her photos from my phone and shredded all the photographs that I had. I did a walkthrough of my home and removed every item that she had gifted me or that we had purchased together and took them to Goodwill. Anything that reminded me of her got dumped or donated. Period. Remember how the brain um, recalls memories triggered by an emotion? What is more emotional and triggering than a song or a movie or a scent that reminds you of your ex? I went through my playlist and I removed every song that reminded me of her. I stopped watching movies that we watched together. I avoided places that we used to go together. I even avoided driving to her city for any reason like the plague. Like I would not drive out there at all. I stopped going to any place I thought that she might be at. I started wearing a new perfume because when we were together, she started wearing the same perfume that I used to wear. So I started wearing a new one. Old perfume, trash, and done. I know it sounds extreme, but trust me, you need to give your brain a break from any triggering experience while you're healing and creating new neurological pathways. This is temporary though. I had to do things to this extreme because my PTSD was so bad. Just going somewhere and seeing someone with the same color of hair or eyes would trigger a severe panic attack. 
I have since reintroduced some of these things without risking any triggering emotions or sensations. And I'm actually able to enjoy music again and movies again and places that we used to go together without feeling any nostalgia or triggering any memories. And I cannot stress this one enough. At the beginning, when I first, you know, was going through this experience, I found myself sleeping a lot, a lot. On my medical record, there's this uh, diagnosis that reads traumatic brain injury. Um, I'm not a doctor or anything, but I did work in the medical field for almost a decade. And one of the things I recall about treating patients with traumatic brain injuries is that it is very important for them to rest in order for their brain to recover. So I knew that I was waking up at night with night terrors and suffering from insomnia, which was making my symptoms of PTSD worst. I was so fatigued because, girl, you are going to be fatigued after you disconnect from the narcissist. Your body went from being in a constant state of fight or flight to realizing there's no bear chasing you anymore. So it goes into rest and digest, which tells your body it's safe to stop running and fighting. Make sure you're getting enough rest and make sure you're sleeping. I was finally able to get my body to the state of rest. And I mean, when I got there, I slept for more than 18 hours that first day. I became a fixture on my couch watching Grace and Frankie, and I don't feel bad admitting it at all. The fatigue since then has improved a tiny bit, but nine months out, I still get super fatigued fatigued from doing simple activities like you know, exercise or anything outside of my, my routine that I do. Even running errands, sometimes I get super fatigued. Um, so the more work your brain has to do to complete a task, the more tired you're going to be. Don't feel bad for yourself and don't feel like you're lazy because you need to take a rest or because you need to sleep. Your body and your brain need it because you spent so much time running on that fight or flight response that you need to rest now that you know that you're safe. Another thing that I try to focus on was my diet. Uh, when you're stressed or in fight or flight, your digestion is, uh, digestion is inhibited, leading to micronutrient depletion. I was always running low on iron and magnesium and zinc, so I made sure to supplement accordingly. Make sure that you see your doctor and you do some labs to see where you are deficient and supplement because it is very important. I also created a very peaceful environment in my home to help my traumatized brain heal faster. I had guided meditations playing nonstop. I would listen to them while I showered, while I cooked, while I was in my car driving, before bed. First thing that I did when I woke up in the morning is I put on a guided meditation, even if it was just five or 10 minutes. I did not watch anything on TV that was activating no news, no horror movies, no action movies, nothing suspenseful. As a matter of fact, if I watch TV, I would watch the same show over and over again. And I know that sounds lame, but when you experience trauma and if you have PTSD like I do, watching something that's reliable and predictable is calming and creates a sense of comfort and safety. I started a low impact exercise regimen. I chose Pilates and yoga because... These two forms of exercise have been proven to improve the somatic regulation and body awareness. Many times, those of us who suffer from severe PTSD disconnect or disassociate from our bodies as a result of trauma. Exercise helps create that mind and body connection and restores your nervous system because endorphins, baby. 
I also made sure that my home was comforting, um, my space-wise. So this brought a sense of peace and calm. Now, this is different for everyone, but here's a list of some of the things that I did to create a serene and calming environment in my home. I had soothing music or meditation playing in the background all day. I kept a clean and tidy home because clutter gives me anxiety. I had candles burning in every room I was in. I bought this beautiful bed and lots of pillows because an inviting bed makes it easier to want to just lay in, in it and sleep, right? Um, I got shower bombs for my shower. My favorite was eucalyptus with lavender. I dimmed my lights mostly because I suffer from anxiety, but also because this helped with my stress. Something about keeping the lights low helped me a lot. Um, basically, I created an environment in my home that made me feel safe and that I could control because for so long when you're in a relationship with a narcissist you don't have control of your environment you don't have control of a lot of things so just to be able to control your environment is a huge step now I know that a lot of people have children and if you do maybe you can just dedicate a space in your room or, in, or in a, around the house where you can retreat safely when you're feeling overwhelmed even if it's just 10 minutes trust me it will do wonders for your mental health so those are the things that I did to control my external environment. But what about your internal environment, right? Let's begin with something that is, in my opinion, one of the most important things that you need to do and learn to do. Set boundaries. Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Oh my God, I cannot stress this enough. You need to learn to set boundaries. Speaking from personal experience, setting boundaries was extremely difficult for me, being a people pleaser and all, you know. But it is imperative that you learn to set boundaries. Boundaries help you define where you end and someone else begins. It's also how we protect ourselves and others. The reason that the narcissist was able to push you to your limits and cause so much damage was because unfortunately, you lack the ability to establish clear boundaries. And even if you did have the ability to do that and fought hard to protect them, the reason you have such difficulty trusting again is because someone you loved and trusted violated your most fundamental boundaries. It was so alien to me to set boundaries, even saying no to an invitation or request felt foreign. I was like a child when they first learned to say no, you know, and they say no to everything and loudly, like no. It was this voluntary reflex born from fear and sometimes I would end up apologizing for saying no or setting a boundary. But then I realized that the people who love me and care about me understood where I was coming from and setting a boundary or saying no to them wasn't pushing them away. Now, while it was easy to throw things away and a bit more complicated to set boundaries, changing that internal dialogue is where it got hard. You simply cannot avoid that internal dialogue in your mind that simple. There's no shut off like button. So let me share an amazing exercise that helped me change the narrative of that pesky and annoying voice in my head. Every time I started ruminating, I would grab a piece of paper and fold it in half. On one side, I would write the repetitive thought or scenario that was stuck in my head in a loop like a broken record. So let's just say the voice was saying something like, what if I stayed a little longer? Maybe they would have changed and we would have been happy now. On the other side of the paper, I would write things that I knew to be true. One, narcissists don't change. Two, 
If I had stayed, the abuse would have gotten worse. And three, we hadn't been happy for years, and she made no attempt to change her abusive behaviors. She had no intention to change, and we would have never been happy. When you meet the negative thoughts with facts, you take away its power. Do this every time you have a negative thought pop into your head, and I promise you, little by little, you will change that internal dialogue. I also did something similar to change the way I perceived myself, based on what my ex projected onto me. So you want to grab a piece of paper again, and you want to fold it in half. On one side, you're going to write a negative perception you have about yourself based on your abuser's projections. Mine looked a little like this. You're a narcissist, because that was something that she liked to project onto me, and it was my biggest fear that I would become a narcissist. So on the other side, I wrote... One, I experience emotional empathy, whereas my abuser experiences cognitive empathy. Two, I can hold myself accountable and apologize. I can take criticism as an opportunity for growth. I can validate others' emotions and experiences, even if that means I have to hold myself accountable for any hurt I may have caused. Aside from the relationship with my abuser, I have healthy and successful relationships. I don't have a mean girl mentality. I don't play victim to others to get them to mistreat people I don't like. I didn't cheat. I didn't triangulate. I didn't smear her to my friends and family so they wouldn't like her. I don't have a victim complex. You can write as many of, of these for every intruding thought you have. Eventually, you won't even need to write it down. Your brain will automatically challenge the negative thought with facts until it becomes second nature. Another thing that I found extremely helpful was to read as many books as possible on how my body was holding on to trauma. I know that a lot of us who, um, who experience this spend copious amounts of time reading up on narcissism. And that's okay. I mean, if you're still needing to validate your experience and, and learning about them. But learning about their pathology won't help you understand how to heal from them. Like I mentioned in one of my previous podcasts, I became obsessed with reading up on narcissism. I even created content for TikTok. My drive to do that came from how severely my health had been affected as a result of narcissistic abuse. I wanted to save others from, the, from experiencing the same things and possibly ending up with an autoimmunity disorder or PTSD. But I realized that the more I read about them, the more anxious I became. I think that's because there's this impotence that I felt learning that there wasn't this magic pill to cure narcissism and that the burden to become aware and seek help belongs to the person who suffers from narcissism. So I shifted my focus to the person I could help, myself. The following is a list of books I absolutely recommend that you read. The Body Keeps the Score by Basil A. Vanderfolk. Uh, don't judge me if I mispronounce that. I have an accent and these words come hard to me. Healing from Hidden Abuse by Shannon Thomas. Out of the Fog by Dana Morningstar. It Didn't Start With You by Mark Woolen. It Wasn't Your Fault and I Don't Recall the Name of the Author. I'm sorry. And Will I Ever Be Good Enough by Carol McBride. I also did a lot of journaling and wrote a lot of poems. Art expression is an excellent way to deal with trauma. You don't have to be a writer or an artist. All you need is a journal and some art supplies. Art is awesome because creating art helps you helps your neurological system relax. For those that have difficulty verbalizing their experience, art can be an abstract way to express difficult emotions and feelings and memories. The Trauma Healing Project at HealingAttention.org has an amazing um, program where they offer like free prompts 
for art and classes starting at like $15 or less or maybe even free if you qualify. I recommend you check them out. I'm not affiliated with this program. I just know that I took a few of their classes and I really like them. Another thing that I recommend you do is have a conversation with your friends and family and come to an agreement that they don't relate any information pertaining to your abusive ex. Whatever they saw or heard or came across from a third party, you don't need to know. I sometimes get messages on Facebook from supposedly well-meaning individuals who I don't really have a connection with and actually decided to disconnect from and block with updates they thought I should be aware of, such as when my ex started dating again. Make sure you set boundaries with these individuals to protect your emotional health. It is very important. You do not need to get caught up in that because the narcissist will put things out there that they want you to see just so that it gets back to you and it triggers you. I know that I felt for this trap a couple of times and many of you who follow me on TikTok might have seen a lot of my TikToks when she first started dating. Somebody sent me a photo of them and it completely really honestly triggered me because here I am sitting, struggling, recovering from the abuse and she's out there happily, you know, enjoying a relationship and saying how much she loves this individual doing her narcissistic thing again. It just it just drove me crazy. Speaking of third parties, be careful who you trust and who you allow into your space when you are at your most vulnerable. There are toxic, narcissistic, or codependent individuals out there who will come into your sphere, attracted by your pain, your vulnerability, your desperate need to be heard and seen, and they will want to attach themselves to you like vultures. I swear, they will just pop out of nowhere. When you're healing, your pain will attract those hurting as well and hurt people who are not self-aware, hurt other people. If you encounter this and you happen to overshare with the wrong person, I want you to please have grace for yourself and use it as an opportunity to assess where you still have blind spots and where you need to draw stronger boundaries. Healing is not linear and even though making a mistake may make you, make you feel like it's a setback, it's actually an opportunity for growth. Hold space for yourself. Don't let that internal negative dialogue block you from attuning to yourself genuinely with empathy. Finally, I know that it's very painful to be the collateral damage to someone else's pathology. But I want you to remember something. Their behavior is a projection of who they are and it's not a reflection of who you are. They avoid you and refuse to give you closure because they know they hurt you. They knew exactly what they were doing and how they were hurting you and they did not care. Instead, they made a decision, yes, a conscious and deliberate choice to gaslight you, invalidate you, shame you, smear you, triangulate you, all of the things. They made you carry their shame and their pain on your shoulders because they couldn't look at it, much less acknowledge it. Every move they made was calculated. They couldn't love you because they can't love themselves. And they couldn't see you because they refused to look in the mirror and see themselves. Healing also requires an understanding that your need to have your pain validated comes from having been neglected and ignored as a child. I know that this is true for me and healing those childhood traumas. It's not for the weak of heart. I, I swear it's, it, it was one of the most difficult things that I have to do is to heal from those traumas. It, that need to feel validated comes from not being heard and seen by those who were supposed to love you and protect you. But the narcissist will never be able to give you closure. They will never be able to validate you. I know that I, you know, try to contact my ex and I try to 
I broke no contact a few times. And the last time I sent her an email where I was validating her pain and her trauma that she's claiming to experience to my reactionary abuse. Like she's legit claiming that she has PTSD because of my reactionary abuse. And for some reason, that triggered me. And it triggered me to write her an email where I was giving her closure for that. I know that I will never get that from her. I will never even get an acknowledgement that she ever did any of the things that she and I know that she did. And I'm not waiting for that anymore. You need to know that you don't need that validation from them. You don't. You don't need them to accept they hurt you. You don't need them to acknowledge um, any of the pain that they inflicted on you. You can find closure from within without an apology from anyone. I want you to remember that it is not your job to pull anyone out of their darkness, to heal them from their trauma or fight their demons. It is not your job to go to war for anyone. That is a personal responsibility and it is not your job to hold anyone accountable for it. If you are choosing to do the work and to heal, so can they. Sometimes you want to disappear in someone else and someone else because you desperately want to be found. Accept the fact that disappearing, making yourself small so someone else can feel good about themselves is a trauma response. You do not need to dim your light to protect them from their darkness. Be bold. Be courageous. Look at your inner child in her eyes and tell her, you got it from here and it's going to be okay. I hope that something that I said today helped you a little bit. And I hope that you join me next week. I will be talking about gaslighting. How fun. Till then, take care.